Okay, good morning. Um, it's good to see you guys. Uh, so we're gonna pick up kind of where we left off last time. I know it's a lot of detail. Um, I think last time we were on the tabernacle. And so today we're gonna talk about the priesthood and kind of the implementation of the Levitical priesthood. Um, but, you know, just kind of one like overarching theme to think about as we start is we can't like, what is the saying? Miss the forest for the trees. Like there's a lot of detail here. Uh, when I was reading it the first time, I just started going kind of cross-eyed, like, you know, it just, it's a lot. So, um, we're going to take it piece by piece, but just to remember that, like, you know, what is God kind of pointing to in all of this? Um, okay, so, um, let's start off with just, like, what is a priest? Um, we see a priesthood, like, across the board, um, across cultures, religions, you know, you hear of, like, gurus and shamans. So, like, a priest is not really um, a Judaic, you know, role um, but necessarily or a Christian role. Um, and I know that, you know, a lot of times, like, we come to the word priest um, with our own, uh, you know, past, like, you know, a Catholic priest or, you know, um, Episcopalian, all that. So um, we're going to define it, though, as a person or a people that stands at the interface um, of heaven and earth. He's the go-between, right? So he represents um, for, you know, in this study, the Israelite people to God and then God to the Israelite people, right? Um, and so, you know, the first priest um, ever mentioned in the Bible was Melchizedek, uh, which if anyone did the Hebrew study, you're cringing a little bit right now because it was like just confusing. He's, you know, gets, I think, probably four verses in the Old Testament and then pops up in the New Testament and we have to go, wait, he seems really important. What is he? Um, we don't know a whole lot about him, um, except for he was the king of Salem, which means peace. And so automatically, like, where does your ear go? King of peace, which is what we will, like, you know, learn is Christ, right? Um, and then he brings bread and wine out to Abraham. We, again, hear some echoing of, like, what Jesus is going to do for the Last Supper. Um, but then we see in the New Testament um, this new priestly order in Christ. Christ is of the order of Melchizedek. He is not of the Levitical order that the Jews have been seeing, you know, throughout the centuries, right? Um, and so just kind of like a one little nerd rabbit trail on Melchizedek. Um, but starting in 28, we see the calling of the priest. This is where God is going to, you know, call Aaron and his family um, to serve and minister to his people, um, to represent um, himself to the people of Israel, and then also to bring the people of Israel, you know, into the presence of God. Um, the one thing that's like really important for us to think on with Aaron is Aaron doesn't get to be the priest because of anything Aaron's done. I mean, he has done some great things. He's gone and, um, you know, been kind of the, the voice for Moses, like um, with Pharaoh and everything like that. But he and his family are very flawed. We're about to see that. Um, his sons kind of, you know, botched the priesthood a little bit. There are some things that happen. Um, but he, uh, it's not because of any merit that he gets to be in the priesthood. God chooses this. God places it on him. Um, and, you know, the inclusion of Aaron's sons shows, like, the, uh, like the uh, perpetuating line that's going to happen. It's going to keep on going, right? Um, and so it's just kind of interesting to like remember because as we are called to be the royal priesthood um you know because of christ like is not because of anything we have done it is because god has chosen us um and so i think that that was kind of comforting especially as you watch aaron and his sons and like how they handle this job um just to know that like 
God's not surprised by any of it. Um, Okay, and so the overarching theme in Exodus 28 is basically the foreshadowing of Christ. So, like, as you're going through the weeds, you should be kind of thinking, like, okay, why why does this sound familiar? What is this pointing to? And it's basically foreshadowing that Christ is going to be our great high priest. But it starts off with the clothing. Um, And so... You know the song, like, sometimes the clothes don't make the man or something like that. Do y'all remember that song? Anyone? Pitch Perfect fans? Um, (laughs) uh, I'm a big fan. Um, Anyway, uh, so here the clothes make the man. Now, I'm not saying that they sanctify him or that, like, they're his salvation. That's not it at all. But um, when they don the, like, the priestly garments, he becomes, you know, the priest, the, the high priest that enters into God's presence. Like, this is kind of, like, his, you know, he puts that on. Um, and one way to think of this, um, I'm a huge West Wing fan, like huge. It's probably one of the greatest shows on television. But anyway, um, Josiah Bartlett's the president um, in one episode, and uh, he has like this really hard decision to make. And um, he actually calls his priest from, you know, the parish when he was growing up in to kind of counsel him. And the priest goes, would you like me to call you Josiah? Or Mr. President, and he said, Mr. President, if you don't mind. And the reason is, is that as I'm making some of these decisions, it's better for me to be Mr. President than it is to be Josiah. And so, I, and that was kind of like rolling around in my mind because it's like, okay, he's not Aaron. He is the high priest that's about to do all of these things. Um, and so anyway, so um, that, as we see him putting on the priestly garments, we're seeing like this transition from Aaron into the representative between the people of God and, um, and God himself. Um, and the clothing is meant to be like representative of what should be internal on the exterior. Um, the thing is, and we could all like, you know, know this, is like the interior is not, it's, it is not what it's supposed to be, right? Um, we have to wait for the great high priest for the interior to match the exterior. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and kind of dive in to um, the actual clothing. And if y'all have a handout, um, I just like a visual because it's kind of, it's a lot. And so it'll just have, you know, kind of the visual of what it looks like. But um, we're, we're gonna focus on a couple of different pieces. So the ephod um, was, kind of like a tunic, didn't have sleeves, and it, you know, just came down over your, um, like, over the undergarments, right? Um, and the important thing on this was it had two stones of onyx, I believe, and on each stone was six um, names of the tribes of Israel, so 12 total, and they rested on his shoulders. They were inscribed, and I think, like, one really neat thing to stop and think about is, did y'all catch when you were reading it that God is talking about this will be skillfully done, so do it well, and it'll be done by people whom I've given the skill. And so I just thought it was really sweet when I was studying it that like God is giving these people the skills to create the means by which he's going to dwell with us. Like he get he gives us participation into dwelling amongst him, um, you know, the people. Um, and he does that for us now. Like, I mean, think about all of the different talents and gifts that he gives the people of our congregation and the body um, to be able to, like, praise and worship him. So I thought that that was just a really neat side note. Um, but anyway, so on the ephod, we've got, you know, the two stones um, that have the 12 tribes of Israel on um, his shoulders. And then we have um, gold filigree with gold ropes. And then they put on um, the breast piece. And the breast piece has rings, and they are connected to the ephod. Um, and on the breast piece, there's 
four rows of stones. And they're precious stones. Some we don't really know much about because they're not around anymore. Um, but with each one, um, there's an inscription of one of the tribes of Israel. So he's wearing the, tr the names of Israel on his shoulders and on his heart. Um, and so I think that this is cool because he brings the people of Israel before the Lord on his shoulders and on his heart. Um, and he's known not um, only by his name, by Aaron, or by the high priest's name, but also by their names. Like, he is bringing them into the presence of the Lord. Um, and he's responsible for securing their entrance into the Lord's presence. And they can only enter into the Lord's presence because they are resting on him. And so, when, like, when we talk about that, like, what does that sound like? It's our life, right? Like, we cannot go into the Lord's presence if we don't rest on the grace that is given through Christ. So Christ takes us on his shoulders and on his heart, and he brings us before the Lord and allows us to, you know, dwell in the midst of the Lord. Um, and that is, you know, a good foreshadowing of, like, you know, what was going to come with the, um, these people. And so, um, and, yeah, just, like, bearing his burdens and um, bringing them because, you know, like, they're on his heart. So then we move to, um, and I just put before the throne of God above, like that kind of, I feel like when you're studying things, do you ever get stuff in your head? That kind of was in my head. Like, his, you know, my name is graven um, on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And that's what we see with Christ. Um, and so then moving on, we're going to look at um, what like mantras he had to say or anything like that. There were none. Like it's important to note that there's no instruction here for Aaron to say, to like chant a certain thing or to say a certain mantra. Like there's, he doesn't have to say anything. But the one thing that we do see is holy, um, holy to the Lord on his forehead. That's his banner. And without that, he cannot stand before the Lord um, alive, right? And so he wears this on his forehead. Um, and that is kind of our banner as well. Like, we're not required to have perfect words to come into the presence of the Lord, just like Aaron wasn't. Aaron didn't need to be perfect. He didn't have to have the right words. Neither do we. But our banner is that um, we are um, redeemed by, by Christ's blood. And so, you know, our, ban our banner is holy to the Lord. And so um, that's kind of the clothing. And then let's go ahead and look at the consecration of the priest. Um, okay, so we start with the washing. Um, so before the, they go and they get their bull, they get their two rams, and then they get you know, the unleavened bread and everything, and then they start the washing because before they can even put on the priestly clothes, they need to cleanse themselves. Like this is, you know, they're renewing themselves. Water is, you know, about like washing away and everything like that. So they cleanse themselves and um, have the washing. And then um, they begin the dressing. And this is, like I said, the turning point where we go from Aaron to high priest, right? Um, and so they'll, you know, put everything on and then they're anointed with oil. Um, and this is, you know, representative of God um, pouring out his spirit upon the priest. Um, we'll see it in the New Testament as, you know, Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit. Like we see that Holy Spirit coming down. And then this, this is what, you know, God says to do right now. So they, you know, pour oil out. Um, and then they begin the offerings. And so there are three offerings, and um, their purposes are to be forgiven, to be dedicated, and then to rejoice in fellowship with God, okay? Um, so the first is the sin offering. Um, it's killing the bull. And so, um, 
they lay their hands on the bull, slaughter it, and then pour the blood into the altar and on the horns. And this is to atone for the sins of the priests. So it's a reminder that like these priests are sinful humans. It, they are sinners um, ministering to other sinners. And so, um, yeah, we have that. And then we go ahead and start with the killing of the ram. And this is the burnt offering. And so when we hear fire, we hear, um, you know, like complete renewal, if you will, um, wiping away and everything like that. And so this is talking about them being completely dedicated, needing to be dedicated to the Lord. Okay. And then thirdly, um, is the, there's several different names for it, but the wave offering, um, also the peace or consecration offering. The wave offering was because, um, like during the offering, they would like literally, I tried to research this, but they would like wave it. Um, and so anyway, so, um, that's rejoicing in fellowship with God. And so we've gone from being sinners, being forgiven, dedicate, rededicating themselves, and now we're rejoicing with God. And in this, after, um, after that, uh, they, the priests get to um, take part in their priestly possession, which is to be able to eat of that second ram. And it's just part of, you know, the kind of their privilege, I guess, um, to be able to do that. And so um, in 29... Uh, verses 42 and 46 are pretty central to the passage. I'm going to go ahead and read them um, because it's kind of like what all the offerings are about. It's God kind of telling about that. Okay, so starting in 42. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so I just think it's so neat to pull back, like we were talking about at the beginning, and see, like, what is this all about? There's so many details. It kind of seems a little superfluous sometimes. And it's because God wants to be with his people. He doesn't have to be. Like, God doesn't get to be more God because his people are worship, worshiping him. Like, God is God, and he is whole and content and perfect in, in himself. But, like, he loves the people of Israel, and he loves us so much that he, like, he you know puts out in detail like here's how you're gonna do it so that we can be together and I just think that that is so beautiful um and so I think then you know as we fast forward we see the great high priest because you know Aaron and his family are not uh, they're going to mess it up because we all mess it up like we you know the calling like he they're gonna mess it up and so we wait, and there's a great high priest that comes, and that's Christ. And um, all of the foreshadowing, all of the parts of um, 28 and 29 are pointing towards Christ um, when he will need one offering. These were daily offerings. And can you imagine, like, the sounds of, like, the, you know, the bleeding rams and, you know, the bulls and everything? Like, it was messy and ugly and everything, but it was what needed to happen so that the Israelites could be in the presence of the Lord. Um, and for Christ, we need one sacrifice, and it's done. Um, and so in Hebrews 7, 27, um, 
they talked about it, um, referring to Jesus. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And so it's just like this rest that like God is bringing, or Jesus is bringing us into the presence of God by his redemptive work um, with his blood. Um, and I love what Campbell Morgan said. It's at the, like the back and the bottom of your um, notes. Um, and I'll just kind of finish with this. Um, he said, um, Jesus, well, he, uh, he was the first man to enter into the perfect light of heaven in the right of his own holiness. Heaven had never been um, before received such a man. On that ascension day, there came into heaven a man who asked no mercy. Pure, spotless, victorious, he came into the light of heaven and caused no shadow there. Um, and so I think that that's a good place to leave it, to know that, you know, this is beautiful that God would create a path for the Israelites to dwell among him and him to dwell among them and everything, but that it was imperfect, and he knew that from the beginning, but that he was pointing towards the perfect, and the perfect way for us to be able to, like, dwell as um, both children of God, but also a kingdom of priests, you know, a royal priesthood of, um, of God as well.